There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Our interview today is with Gavin Armstrong. He's a social entrepreneur and is the president and CEO of an organization called Lucky Iron Fish. You've got to check them out online, luckyironfish.com. Uh, it's a this is a great interview. You've got to listen to this. It's it's a, it's it's entrepreneurial. It's about business. It's about academia. It's about giving back. It's about buy one, give one models. It's about actually doing good with your uh, business. And, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to be uh, put, putting a link in uh, to, to the bio here to Paul Tudor's uh, Robin Hood Foundation uh, plan. Uh, he's talking about what socially responsible companies are all about. It's a 12-minute video. And, and we, we talk a little bit about it in, in the interview, Gavin and I, but what's really fascinating is I think Lucky Ironfish is well on the way. Check out what Oprah has had to say about them. They've won all kinds of awards. This is, a, this is an incredible organization, and Gavin's got lots to say about it, so stay tuned. Uh, check out the site, davidpecklive.com, for other interviews and uh, ravel.ca if you get a chance and don't forget my book real changes incremental is available now on chapters.ca well welcome to face to face we are joined by a very interesting guest today gavin armstrong he's the president and ceo of lucky iron fish that's lucky iron fish as it sounds dot com and as it's spelled i suppose uh l-u-c-k-y ironfish.com and we're going to talk about something that i'm going to raise right now uh, the buy one get one uh, model that Gavin and and his uh, organization are working on. So so Gavin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is. I mean, I've heard about you guys for quite some time. I'm sitting here, actually. Maybe you can hear me opening the box, um, and it's a very cool little box uh, with. I'm holding a what almost looks like a. Well, it look it is a fish. Looks like a fish, but it's it. Uh, 
the, the closest thing I can compare it to is a, a large weight if I was going fishing. Mm. <laughs> you know, might hook it on the end right. of a line. That's kind of what it reminds me of. Tell me, what the heck is this thing? Well, it reminds me of a paperweight, actually. Paperweight? Good, <laughs> yep. Um, so the Lucky Iron Fish is a simple tool that we've developed to combat iron deficiency around the world. And so it's really simple. It's based on a technology that's been used since 500 BC. And that is just... <laughs> Did they have technology in 500, 500 BC? BC in China. That's, this is where the original concept comes from. And it's cooking with iron. And so if you add uh, elemental iron into your cooking process at high temperatures, the iron will um, be, uh, come off the surface of the item and be absorbed into the food. So we developed this iron ingot that was specially formulated that when boiled for 10 minutes in water, it would release up to 90% of your daily required iron intake. And um, we'll talk, I'm sure, a bit about the shape in a moment, but it looks like a fish because in Cambodia, that's a symbol of luck and prosperity. So, so real quick side of question already. So would the, the idea there then be you would, you would pick a luck and prosperity symbol in different countries if you were to move elsewhere? And, well, the, uh, that, the, the symbol was originally developed for Cambodia, but we've really um, fallen in love with the story and the history of the lucky iron fish. And through some initial focus groups, we've actually determined that the symbol of a fish has some significance in multiple cultures and religions across the world. And at a very minimum, a fish is a source of protein, which is a source for iron. And so it's not unheard of to wow. consume fish meat. So many symbols, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just the water, the freedom. I mean, there's lots of great stuff going on under for, from a from a marketing perspective, I would think. Why, Why? I mean, my listeners will know my passion for Cambodia, and certainly I remember I was actually, I think I mentioned to you earlier, but I, I, I walked into Dave Toyson's office, who I've interviewed before for the for the podcast face-to-face, -face, and and I walked in, and he, he before I even sat down, he tossed one of the, he tossed the fish to me, and he said, have you ever seen one of these? Knowing of my, you know, uh, passion for Cambodia and so on. And so that was my introduction. Um, why, why Cambodia? Why was that the country of preferred choice? Uh, for lots of reasons. The, the main one was the, um, the developer of the concept, Christopher Charles, was actually on holiday in Cambodia. Mm. And he, like everyone else who goes there, fell in love with the country. And it's kind of hard not to. It, absolutely. Um, so he wanted to go there for two weeks. I think he ended up spending around five years. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty two, He did two degrees. Um, and he was working for NGOs and, and doing some research mm -hmm. and saw that iron deficiency was a huge problem in the rural villages where he was working. And he also noticed that current treatments were just simply um, right. not effective. Right. And so he, after uh, some thinking and some, some research, came up with this concept of cooking with uh, the piece of cast iron, which as I said is a technology that's been around for ages, but tried to make it more culturally applicable. And so after a lot of trial and error, it was discovered that it was a symbol of a fish that would help people put this iron into their food. So he called it the happy fish. He shaped the block um, like a cantrop fish, which is a type of fish known in the, in the country. Um, but the reason why, and then I got involved and, and met with Chris and founded the actual Lucky Iron Fish Company, developed the, uh, the current iteration of the fish that we use today, which is based on the happy fish model. Um, but the reason why we've stayed in Cambodia is not just a testament to um, our desire to help the Cambodian people, but also there are huge iron deficiency rates in Cambodia, both from uh, lack of iron in the diet, but also a genetic disorder and thalassemia. So in terms of clinical trials, you actually get a large perspective of those suffering from iron deficiency, so we can gather the most data uh, from being in that country. So some people are just born without iron. 
There's a, a, disorder, a genetic disorder that prohibits you from absorbing iron. And is that like just in Cambodia? Is that like human race-wide? It's a human, I mean, it's a genetic disorder that um, is predominantly seen in Southeast Asia. Interesting. And okay. there's actually the opposite condition in um, sort of Western countries where the body absorbs iron but then doesn't release it. And so that's hmm. a hemochromatosis where you actually can you, have can to... Can you spell that for me, Kevin? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, Gavin's about to defend his PhD, so I'm kind of teasing him a little I bit should there. Know. <laughs> you should know how to spell that um, one, yes. But yeah. um, it actually, you have to give blood when you have that every three months because oh. you're, you have to get rid of the iron from your body. I have a friend who has that. So yes. you could have It's other, almost like, like bloodletting. Yeah. So you could have you know, both sides of the spectrum on this genetic disorder, but the most common reason for iron deficiency is lack of iron in the diet which is pretty uh, easy to do in a, in a country that suffers from you know, extreme poverty and so on. Yeah. So Cambodia obviously is not your only market. I, I interviewed a, um, a guy from an organization, I think the company's called Delight, I'd have to actually go back and check. Uh, Jiangxi Wu, I believe is his name, and they were the recipients of a scholarship in, in, in the States, and they designed Delight which is mm -hmm. essentially this uh, solar-powered light that was, they, they went after uh, India. That's a pretty big market. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but they wanted to make something affordable for, for people who were making maybe a dollar a day, so living in extreme poverty. And so they came up with, I think, an $11 light. Mm -hmm. Still very expensive, obviously, for, for these families, but came up with a way and they, uh, of, of, of actually uh, getting it on the street, as it were, and it's been wildly successful, and uh, they've developed other products that you can charge your phone with now and so on. So sounds very similar to me. Are you looking, uh, you must be looking at Southeast Asia. So iron deficiency is the world's most common micronutrient issue, uh, negatively wow. impacting 3.5 billion people. Whoa. So That's half of the pretty, planet. Pretty serious. So there is a huge market huge and, a huge, market. and a huge need. We definitely, um, are looking into Southeast Asia as a priority region as the culture and diet and even distribution logistics are very similar to Cambodia. Um, we are looking to create a new production facility in India as the uh, Prime Minister of India has said iron deficiency is one of the most crucial issues facing their country. And so uh, we are looking at targeted uh, regions to do our expansion into. Tell me about, uh, before we go into that, I want to I ask a couple questions around. Tell me about this buy one, get one uh, model, and I'm sure we'll, we can call back to it at the, end of the, at the end of the interview as well. So when I first started with the company, it was my uh, thought process that we should just sell the fish to the end users. Uh, it was such an appealing product. It was cheaper than the alternative of iron supplements at a higher compliance rate. Um, I should mention iron supplements cost an average of about um, $30 per person per year. Iron, the iron fish costs around $10 per person. Uh, sorry, the whole family will benefit from it, and it's reusable for five years. And iron supplements have a compliance rate of 32%. We have a compliance rate of 94%. So I felt that there were so many advantages to the iron fish, we could just sell it to the end users and it would be fine. No one wanted to buy from us, however, because mm -hmm. we weren't trusted. People were getting iron supplements for free from NGOs. Why would I put a piece of metal in my cooking pot? Exactly. So there was a lot of challenges, and we needed to uh, figure out a way to, to fulfill our impact to get the fish to those who needed it. And so we started negotiations with NGOs to have them bulk purchase the fish and then distribute them. However, some of the bigger NGOs needed more data, so we started a third clinical trial. And we needed something to do to essentially keep the lights on while that trial was happening. So we started selling the fish on our website with a buy one, give one model. So if someone in a Western country bought one uh, for 25 Canadian dollars, we would give one away for free to an NGO or a hospital in Cambodia. 
And that was selling about 100 a month, which was great because we were giving away 100 free fish a month. Um, but then with some incredible media attention that started with the BBC, we moved from selling 100 a month to 100 an hour. Um, Come on. Yeah, now averaging. Get out. It was, it was averaging about 10,000 a month, um, which was great because we were then giving away 10,000 free a month uh, to the NGOs and hospitals. And so we've now shifted um, our, our model to while we're doing this research and collecting the data, mm -hmm. the best way to magnify our impact is through the buy one, give one model because we're now giving away uh, tens of thousands of free units to hospitals and NGOs who are much more willing to take a free product than they are to be convinced to buy a product. And that's how we're, we're um, helping those in the developing world. Raises some questions about efficacy. It's a little troubling to me that they're willing to take something for free without the data, but give me data in order to prove it, so then I'll purchase it. You know right, I mean, I mean, and also I mean, the, the data, we do have data, and so it's not that do, they're not yeah. doing, and that it's yeah, more for procurement. Yeah. There's procurement processes that yeah, require you yeah. to replicate the, the trials. Right. So it's more that there are more hurdles to jump through. I, I, sh I should specify yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So is that your PhD then, that data that you're talking about that you keep yeah, so, so my PhD is really, my thesis is really interesting. It's interdisciplinary. But hang on, hang, hang on. So you're biomedics, <laughs> yeah. right? You're biomedical bio science. Biomedical science, undergrad in commerce. commerce, and then some agricultural thrown in there as well. I did, a, I was working on an MSc in rural planning and development before I, I went into the PhD program. So are you an academic or a businessman? <laughs> I, um, I, am a, I fundamentally believe in interdisciplinary learning. Yeah, me too. Um, and so even when I was doing commerce as my undergrad, I was focused on being outside the box and not following the traditional academic streams. Nice. Um, the thesis is on uh, the commercialization of uh, health innovation in Cambodia. And so half of it is the, the science and backing up uh, the data and looking at this clinical trial. But also then there's a component that's a sustainable business model on social enterprise, which is a huge mm. passion of mine is social mm. business. Okay, I would imagine And it so is, it's yeah. how can you merge these two um, and create a sustainable model for a, for a health innovation. So, so that's essentially your PhD it, by title. Without you know, making me leave the room, uh, <laughs> tell me about the data. Uh, so the, the data will be looking at um, the lucky iron fish on women who have iron deficiency. And there'll be three test groups. Uh, there are um, women who are iron deficient, um, women who are and using the iron fish, women who are iron deficient and using iron supplements, and then the control group of uh, women who are iron deficient with no intervention. Mm. Um, and then within those groups, we're looking at those who have iron deficiency from diet, lack of iron in the diet, and those who have the genetic disorder of thalassemia. So I'm going to, fascinating stuff, we could keep talking about that. I want to go back a little bit to the sort of the genesis of this a little bit uh, with Christopher. You know, you just casually said, and then I came along and, <laughs> you know, how does that happen? Like, you know, I, 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 in the world of social change, in the world of trying to make the, uh, in the world of trying to make the world a better place, how do those disparate ideas, thoughts, people come together? So uh, Chris finished the research and knew he was on to something. Um, but he also had, uh, I think, a, a dream, I should say, to go to medical school. He really wanted to continue on this medical trajectory. Uh, and so he, but he didn't want to abandon Lucky Iron Fish. And so he did an international call out with his faculty uh, advisor, Dr. Alistair Summerlee, to find someone, a student, to do a PhD continuing the work of the Lucky Iron Fish. 
Um, and I still the happy fish at this point. At that point, it was the happy still fish. Still the happy yeah. fish. Okay. Thank you. And yeah. I applied. I think there was um, half a dozen or a dozen oh. applicants internationally. Okay. okay. And I basically, uh, when I met for the interview, I said, I want to commercialize this. I think this is a viable commercial entity. Definitely have to continue the research, but I think at the same time, this should be helping people now, not continuing to wait. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were able to negotiate some terms on that. And uh, Chris is still involved as a, as a director of the company. And Alistair Summerlee, uh, the ac academic advisor, is now my academic advisor and also um, on the uh, board of the company. And um, we've seen some incredible results. And the most um, uh, critical for me is that the, um, the revenue that we're generating from our sales is helping to support further research efforts. And so mm -hmm. we're now able to um, apply for grants that only go to for-profit agencies, like one through um, Grand Challenges Canada. And so being a for-profit has allowed us to fund the research and scale up our operations, if you will. Yeah. I want to talk about the, the 100 a month to 100 an hour. That's a great title for a book, by the way. <laughs> uh, so you wanted to, your, your quote, you wanted to, quote, continue research, but you wanted to help people now. Mm. Why? Why not just get your PhD and be done with it and then move on? Well, I mean, it's, and, and it's clearly connected to this whole notion of being interdisciplinary, which I love, by the way. It's just, I mean, it was so frustrating that um, we wanted to do something and we saw that this, we knew this was an mm. effective product. The clinical trials had, had proven major successes. The lab work um, that I was continuing to do on the new Lucky Ironfish was showing it was releasing more iron. We, we knew we were sitting on something. But the clinical work can take years. It's a year to do the trial itself, but then all the work associated with that and then disseminating the information, a trial can take about three years. So just sitting around and doing nothing for three years was not something I was interested in doing. And as I was telling the story of the Lucky Iron Fish to people, they were constantly saying, well, how can I get one? And so we actually mm. started off by selling lapel pins. And if you bought a lapel pin, you were an ambassador for the project. Right, and then right. we would give a fish away to a, a right. hospital nice. that way. And we were selling tons of pins. And then people started emailing saying, well, the pin is nice. I want a real fish. Uh, and then we uh, found mm -hmm. a, a foundry in Canada uh, that pr could produce the fish here. So the fish we sell in North America are produced in Canada. And then the ones that are uh, given away for free in Cambodia are produced in Cambodia. Oh, nice. That's awesome. What's your, um, um, before we go to the $100 an hour, don't let me forget about that. <laughs> Sorry, the 100 an hour. Uh, what's the response been in Cambodia? Clearly, by the sounds of it, good. I mean, and, and, and talk to the, you know, the rural aspects of it, the cross-cultural uh, effectiveness of this tool, people's willingness or unwillingness to accept it. What about the trust? You mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. And then and, and speak to the whole government side of things as well. Is the, has there been a suspic suspicious sort of edge to who you guys are and what you're trying to do? Um, so the uh, working with NGOs has really um, help get us credibility and, and uh, alleviate the trust issue in the communities. And so these are NGOs that are very reputable and are already working on health, nutrition, and education. And so they, they're known for helping in the communities. And these partnerships have been really helpful for us. It helps with our logistics. It helps with our, uh, our end goal of having people actually cook with this health product. And we're continuing to seek out partnerships in Southeast Asia for NGOs who are working on those three areas, health, uh, education, and nutrition. Um, so we can either um, sell fish or even give away the free fish. We're always looking for networks to distribute our free fish from that we call our fish tank program. 
Um, from the end user perspective, it's really great from a sort of anecdotal sense of when you mm -hmm. speak to people, they, they say how much healthier they feel, they're not passing it at work, their kids aren't you know, falling asleep at school. Um, so you can really see the benefit. And then on a compliance level, knowing that 94% of people who receive a fish in our trials use them properly on a regular basis. I mean, that's incredibly high. That's very, very and high. And so we take yeah. that as a huge success. I've, you know, the, the, I'm sure you're familiar with the Biosand water filter at the BSF, mm -hmm. the Canadian invention as well, uh, that, that is, you know, largely been distributed by uh, many different organizations, but I think Samaritan's Purse has been a pretty significant uh, uh, implementer alongside of uh, people like Asian Outreach and others in country. Um, very successful, high success rates, uh, from what I understand, from the the data that I've seen. What do you attest? That? What's why? I think why this and not something else. Yeah, it, um, what's interesting is that uh, in Chris's work, two groups were um, were studied. One that was given extra education about iron deficiency in the fish, and one that wasn't. And the compliance rates were very similar in the two groups. And so we can we think we can attribute that to the fish itself, the cultural aspect of the luck. So thinking it'll bring their household luck if they cook with it. Mm. Also the simplicity in it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it doesn't uh, change the taste or color of the food. Interesting. And okay. so once you use it once and you find out how easy it is, you'll want to continue using it again. And how long before I start to see benefits, like physiologically? So um, physiologically is a bit different, difficult to evaluate, yeah, whether sure. some of it's a placebo effect or not. Right, right. In, um, the, the blood work that we've been able to do, and you have to understand this is a very um, complicated thing to test for and also very expensive. We've seen increases between the three and six month mark um, of actual uh, hemoglobin uh, levels. And so we know that the circulating iron uh, is being improved at that stage. But it's sort of, if you picture it like a sunrise, so every day is a little bit better, every, every moment's a little bit sunnier. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't just happen at once, it's gradually building up to levels that are then detectable at the three to six month mark. So you're interdisciplinary, you're also a business guy, clearly, sitting behind a very large desk, <laughs> by the way. Uh, um, how did you go from 100 a month was it 100 a month to 100 an hour? I mean, social media, video, uh, TV appearances? Tom Cruise become one of your, uh, your advocates? <laughs> Not Tom Cruise yet. Uh, we're working on it. Um, yeah, I bet you are. We, um, it was actually incredibly organic, and it was a huge surprise. We were not expecting it. And so I was a part of a summit that was um, hosted by, uh, at the time, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Um, and he called the MNCH Summit and gathered world leaders and the UN to talk about maternal uh, newborn child health. And we were, uh, we were one of five innovations, uh, Canadian innovations, that were highlighted. And I believe from this, um, the BBC in the UK wanted to do an article. And so um, over the next couple of weeks, I did some interviews. They actually were in Cambodia, and they filmed some of our, our work there. Mm. And then on the May 2-4 weekend, which in Canada is a long weekend, they aired it in, in the UK. In what year? Uh, then 2014. 2014. Oh, sorry, 15. 15. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Quite recently. So this year. And um, it was the long weekend here, and we woke up on the holiday Monday, and we thought we were hacked uh, because our inbox was flooded with emails. And it was you know, overflowing, and I think it was at capacity. And so we, I got a phone call very early in the morning saying we've had a system problem. And then a phone call a couple of minutes later saying, actually, 
scratch that, these are actually sales. <laughs> so the, um, because the BBC had aired at, at GMT time, it had um, over the morning had generated thousands and thousands of sales. And then that just kept going. The BBC article was replicated by other sources, yeah. other other agencies like Upworthy and The Chive, uh, wow. Yahoo did did stories. Wow. Wow. And then so it was all organic. It was all we didn't pay anything for it. Great PR. And um, what's really exciting is it's still going. And so just in last month in October, uh, in Oprah magazine, we were ranked as one of the most awesome things she's seen, and uh, she said we were off the hook. Get, get, get nice. <laughs> Getting so a shiver, man. That's awesome. So Good for you people want to keep uh, hearing the story, and we've got always new, exciting advances to the story. We're not done, and um, I think that's just our word of mouth. And using definitely utilizing social media is is important for us. We have 2.8 billion social media impressions, meaning uh, 2.8 billion people have had the ability to see us on some platform on social media which is uh, pretty massive when other major brands strive for a couple hundred million. Um, we've won awards for our campaigns. We've won uh, uh, nine uh, Clio awards recently in New York, including the Grand Prix and um, uh, Agency of the Year. We also won seven Cannes Lions awards, including Grand Prix in Health. And so um, the, the story that we're telling is definitely generating a lot of success. So clearly then you see tons of room for growth. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. So we're now looking in the new year on how to expand our distribution and sales channels. So looking at getting into retail, we want to be um, seen as an as a appropriate alternative to iron supplements um, as a natural solution. And so being here, on the shelves here, like, here in Western countries. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. And then the buy one model will always remain within that. We're also looking at advancing how that buy one model will work. So um, we don't want to just give fish, but we want to invest in the health of the communities where we're in. So purchase diagnostic equipment, healthcare workers and practitioners, perhaps um, advancements in the healthcare facilities. And so when you're not, you're not just getting a fish, but you're getting a gambit of health opportunities in your community. Yeah, I mean, being interdisciplinary, you must, you must see the, and I'm sure you've traveled there, but you must see the interconnected nature of all of these issues. It's not just an iron deficiency that's the issue. There's, there's other things going on here as well. We're talking about education. We're talking about job security. We're talking so many different factors that play into these issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and iron deficiency can cause other, other conditions. And so it's important to not only treat that, but also treat its reciprocal effects. Um, and also, we want to make sure that people who are getting the fish need it and are using it properly. Uh, and so we want to do continued engagement with uh, the beneficiaries to, to make so, sure it's helping. So, so Gavin, do you want to make tons of money <laughs> or do you want to change the world? Well, I think you can, uh, you can do well by doing good. Um, and so we are a B Corporation, uh, which is a certified benefit corp. And so um, we are a for-profit, but we have a social mandate, and I try and have a social mandate in every aspect of how we do business. It's not just the end product. Our packaging is made of recycled material. We hire a cooperative that hires disabled Cambodians, many of whom are landmine victims. Um, we are always working. Uh, to is that all out of Phnom Penh, by the way? All out of the, Kandel, the capital? Yeah, so Kandel, right outside of right, Phnom Penh. Kandel province, yeah. Um, and as, as a, in spent, as, I spent a fair bit of time in the Lavia M district, which is, okay, yeah. which is in Kendal. Yeah, yeah, I've been all over. That's right. where we've done some work. Neat. Uh, in terms of a company, we've got a commitment to being transparent and, and um, our hiring practices as well. And so everything we do, we want to have this social mission because it's for me an ambition to, to demonstrate that social enterprises can be profitable. 
And so when someone's thinking about starting a business, even if it's one of the more traditional, in, one of the more traditional industries, you can still be making the world a better place and not sacrificing your bottom line for that. And I think that's one of the major um, barriers for people wanting to move their businesses to be more environmentally uh, sound or socially sound is they think it's going to cost them money. Or do you think it is also, a, and as a result, they're going to make less money? Is, yes. Yeah. Right, right, right. So you don't see them being, they're not verticals for you? No, absolutely not. I think being a B Corp um, and uh, having our commitment to being a social enterprise is actually helping us in some cases generate um, sales. There's one of the retailers we're talking to is actually going to have a B Corp section. Mm -hmm. And so only B Corp certified products can be sold in this store. And mm. so it's providing us opportunities. It's holding us accountable to our commitment to being a social enterprise. Um, our investors believe in what we're doing. We have social, um, socially set bylaws and our, in our, um, in our uh, governance laws. And so we are holding ourselves accountable to that too. Um, so everyone believes in what we're doing. So Paul Tudor of the Robin Hood Foundation just, I don't know if you've seen it, but he did about a 12-minute piece. I'll have to send it to you, and mm -hmm. this is for everyone out there. November 3rd, 2015, he's about 12 minutes on. Um, um, they're uh, publishing a, a document called Just 100. Mm -hmm. Just 100, sorry. Uh, and it's going to be a list of companies that reward socially responsible leadership. And it's coming from a guy who's, you know, got a certain amount of weight in the corporate sector, uh, mm -hmm. really, and also in the nonprofit environments now as well. And he was at, a, I think, a Fortune 500 conference recently. Anyway, it's worth watching. Um, but I, I still, you know, and, and I'm, I guess I'm being, you know, a little bit of the gadfly here, but why bother? Like, I mean, clearly you're young. Um, is it because you were raised in a different environment than I was? Is it that my son is going to want to work for your company when he's 18 years old packaging the iron fish in the warehouse? What, do, do, do you know where I'm going with that? I do, and uh, I can just give a very quick personal story, and that's when I came to uh, university out of high school. Um, I wanted to be a banker because I felt that was the best way to just make a ton of money. Um, I was bullied uh, in high school and I felt that being successful was the only way to sort of prove the bullies wrong. Interesting. And I had an um, interesting experience where through a, a random field course I took that I didn't think I was going to enjoy actually brought me to Botswana in southern Africa and though I had a fantastic time, it was my first time truly leaving Canada, mm -hmm. um, I experienced abject poverty up close mm. and I just went back home and thought how can I live such a selfish lifestyle? I mean how can I just be committed to helping myself uh, prove a bully wrong who I'm probably never even going to see again when this kind of um, pain is, and suffering is existing in the world outside of my bubble. Um, and so that's where I did a complete 180 and then hmm. started doing a lot of uh, charity work and NGO work. And uh, I was in Dadaab in the refugee camps in Kenya doing uh, some fundraising for schools. Uh, I did an internship uh, with WFP. And though there are incredible works happening there, I felt still I wanted to contribute something that was a sustainable solution. And that's where I came and fell in sort of love with social enterprise, which was this bridge between so were business you, and, and um, Yeah, totally. Social. So were you loving social enterprise before Happy Fish or Lucky Iron Fish came along? I was interested in corporate social responsibility and sort of companies' uh, roles and private sector roles in play and um, solving world problems. Um, I didn't truly appreciate it until I actually started one. <laughs> right, um, right. And uh, our goal as a social enterprise at the beginning was just to sell this lucky iron fish to help people. 
Uh, but then along the way, I was, I was learning about what other companies are doing. I mean, the buy one, give one model, the environmental commitments we have as a company. It's really um, in me kind of, I get, I get energized every day when I think about new ways to help improve the company's social mission. And, this, and the rest of the team too, everyone comes to work. Um, always thinking about ways we can contribute to society. We have a value of... It's uh, top down and bottom up, isn't it? It's absolutely. not an either or thing. It's, it, it becomes a part of the... Uh, can I use the word DNA for, with a guy like you? I guess I can. But I don't like it personally because it's kind of deterministic. Yeah. But, but it does. It becomes a part of the culture, doesn't it? Yeah. The ethos. The, so you go home and people are driving home and hopefully they're thinking about uh, how can we make... I mean, it's crazy. It sounds so corny sometimes when I speak uh, publicly or teach. You know, we, we can make the world a better place for crying out loud. Yeah, and so you know? we have a value of how can we always do things better. And um, hmm. one of the, a quick example is we have to find a way to get the manual inside the box and then the box in an envelope. And so we've actually um, hired uh, an NGO called Arc Industries uh, that has hires adults with intellectual disabilities, and um, they do the packaging for us. It would have cost the same as a fulfillment service to do the same thing, but we're working with an NGO. We're creating employment opportunities for those who need them in the community. And that was an idea that came from one of our, our team members who just said, hey, I heard about this group. Why don't we do this instead? Uh, we're now looking at um, cleaning services from that same group for the office. So, so as a leader, you're, you're as a leader, you're pretty open then to, to ideas absolutely. of people from from the people that work with you. Yeah, and it's very yeah. important as a small business uh, that it's very flat in terms of its hierarchy, and uh, there's no job that's beneath someone. On the holiday Monday, when the fish needed to be stuffed, we were all carrying fish upstairs and stuffing them and mailing them. Um, you know, we've all had to work on, on weekends and in the evenings, especially with being in half of its Cambodia time zones. And so we're all committed to helping each other out and being there for each other. So you have hope then for, uh, you, don't, you don't believe in the bottom line, you believe clearly in the triple bottom line. Absolutely. Yeah. Or the quadruple yeah. bottom line. The, what's, what's, tell me about <laughs> yeah, that. You just, add in this layer, <laughs> you just add in this layer of just sort of um, social change. And sure. so when you have um, transparency and, and, and hiring and governance. Yeah, that's, that's remarkable. I mean, I, I don't know how you can't be hopeful listening to this kind of a conversation with somebody like you, a new business, um, and, 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 and realizing that, uh, yes, early stages, but there are ways of making this profitable and making the world still a better place along the way. What, um, what is, uh, so, so Southeast Asia, India, uh, retail here. I mean, it sounds like you guys kind of want to take over the world. That's <laughs> our that's our mission to put a fish in every pot, okay. um, and so right. that's how we're going to do that. Right. And just because we've uh, made a priority region Southeast Asia, that does not mean we're not going into other areas. I would hate for listeners to say, well, what about this area and what right. about that? Right. So we do have plans for Latin America, for both East and West Africa. Um, I'm actually potentially flying to the Middle East in the new year. We're hopefully going to uh, have a program set up soon for Syrian refugees um, to provide a free product to that, that area. So we're definitely not excluding anywhere. If there's a region with iron deficiency, which typically there is everywhere, mm -hmm. um, we're going to be there. Another area that people don't often think about is um, in developed countries. And so in Canada, there are very high rates of iron deficiency amongst Aboriginal women in Aboriginal communities. And so we're launching some uh, partnerships in the coming weeks uh, to help provide free fish into Aboriginal communities in Canada because we definitely want to combat iron deficiency abroad but have to respect it's here at home as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not, again, it's not either or, right? It's mm -hmm. uh, both and. So, so tell me, uh, you know, we'll probably wrap up here in a few minutes, but tell me if you can a little bit about the 
um, the capacity building side of things. So, you know, it's not just about uh, dropping off a fish into the pot, but it's about maybe some education, some training, maybe water and sanitation. MNCH, Maternal Newborn Child Health, yeah. is much more comprehensive than just an iron deficiency. Well, on a basic economic level, um, the World Bank estimates that the average person loses about two weeks of work from iron deficiency. Hmm. Hmm. And that actually has a loss on the global GDP of $70 billion a year. And so this is the current workforce who is actually losing days of work. So employers are losing productivity, families are losing income. And because of the, um, it hinders cognitive development in children, then the future workforce is already being started, um, being set off with a disadvantage. And so just having iron into the diet alone will have an overall impact into the, both the current and future generation. Um, but you're right, there is a full picture. We need to talk about healthy eating. Um, the best way to get iron in your diet is, is from, uh, from actually eating it, not from adding and supplementing things. And so we want to dispel myths about iron deficiency in developing countries, and even probably in developed countries. There are some inaccuracies and some myths that we want yeah, to get rid of. I'm sure. Talk about um, iron deficiency itself, its impact, and how you can help benefit your family. Is there is there a, p a potential partnership with a, and I'm sure you're working, as you say, you're working with many NGOs and so on, but is there a potential partnership with an NGO uh, to work on that side of things? So you go in country, you're in Kendal province in, in Cambodia, uh, you're working al alongside uh, an NGO that might be able to do some of that capacity building training. And, and then I guess the question is, how do you work that into your model, or is it a kind of a collaborative partnership in a way. Yeah, it's definitely going to be, I think, more collaborative. And as we look for new partners uh, to go on the ground with, they, we want to have groups that have this um, this capability of doing more than just distributing a fish. And so if, they are doing, if they're already doing academic or uh, educational material, perhaps we can help fund that to expand it, along with giving away the free fish. Um, and so we don't want to we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, we don't want to almost be competing with other groups. I hate that siloed approach. We mm -hmm, have 10 people mm -hmm, doing the mm -hmm, same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think we can find uh, groups who are all interested in filling that full mm -hmm. uh, spectrum. Sure. And we'll just be one piece of that. What's interesting to me about your fish is that uh, I'm not going to really do anything with it. So the buy one get one is really interesting. So I buy it. It's amazing. It's cool. It's a it's a, a paperweight. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a conversation starter, right? It's sitting on my coffee table, yeah. I would imagine, or on the piano, uh, the top of my piano. And so people pick it up. Hey, what's this? And that leads hopefully to more sales. But it's kind of it's, it's socially innovative. I get that. But it has kind of a for profit, not profit not-for-profit thing going on. Well, I would actually, I'm really happy you, you said that um, because when we first started selling them, that was uh, what I was thinking as well. And so I thought people are buying this as a cool knickknack and they know they're helping someone else. Um, our customer uh, research has shown that 76% of people who buy the fish use it on a regular basis. That's cool. And they use it to replace iron supplements. Um, out of, we, what we don't know is out of the, um, the people who are not using it, have they given it as a gift to someone who does use it? And so after the holiday season, because uh, it does make a great gift, we've already seen sales drastically go up. There's a few, um, we're going to be on a few uh, gift 
lists of nice. gifts that give back. Nice. Um, and we want to do some customer follow-up in January and, and see, are you, did you buy it for yourself or did you buy it for someone so else? Gonna, are you going to be in some gift catalogs? Is that We're in a few of them already oh, and that's a few more Can you out. talk about where they're going to be? I don't know if they've been launched yet, but oh, okay. uh, I definitely keep your eye out. I think if you're hearing it here first, you that's might as right. well that's buy right. it before the, uh, that's the, right. buy before the, the rush comes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no kidding. 76% of the people who buy them wherever they're buying them are actually using them. That's amazing. And the majority of our sales are actually from the United States as well. Interesting. So, okay, so here's, we're going to have to probably wrap up here in a few minutes and I'm having a blast with this conversation, by the way, but you're interdisciplinary. You're a, so what are you? Are you a biomedicine? <laughs> what are you? A biomedical researcher? I, I mean, prefer what? Gavin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Gavin, yes. Um, I mean, I would, I classify myself as a, if I had to, uh, as yeah. a social entrepreneur. Good. Um, I believe that I'm using tools from yeah. the biomedical yeah. science program. Okay, yeah, um, good, nice. I think the PhD will definitely, uh, it's definitely helped my sort of academic thinking and broadening yeah, my horizons. Well, credibility but and, and so And on. I don't think you need to, any degree qualifies you to be a social entrepreneur. I think right. it's just good. the drive that you good. have. Good. So. I guess what I want to get to is, so here's a guy who's clearly driven by data, who's, who's, who's done a fairly, it sounds, data-intensive PhD. Uh, my background's philosophy, mm -hmm. not maybe as data-directed, I suppose you could say. Why did it take a trip to Botswana to get on the ground to actually connect with people relationally, heart-to-heart, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, to turn you to the other side? You know what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm asking you about that heart, head, heart, disconnect, that dualism that we all seem to live with. Yeah, I mean, the experience was incredibly emotional. Mm -hmm, um, and, it's, and it wasn't the only one. Uh, that was the first one. And so other, other instances, um, I mean, I could talk for hours about the, my experience in Dadaab and the refugee camps in northern Kenya. Um, and seeing that there is just, the challenges are really daunting. And it's not as simple as just giving someone something for free. It's a huge, complex issue. Um, and so the, the data piece really helps the sale and um, it helps back up what you're saying. I mean, you can have all the emotion you want, um, but when you're all the emotion that your heart has to offer, but when you're talking to an investor or when you're talking to a procurement officer, they need to see some hard facts. And if you don't have those, you're just a nice story. Um, and I think that's why we're trying to have, I'm trying to have this balance of this amazing opportunity that's helping people, but also then that we can back it up and demonstrate it works. So we're not a, a uh, uh, false product. I just can't tell you how many times I've heard the story of, you know, uh, high net worth individuals, family foundations, just g general folk who go to visit a country like Botswana or Burkina Faso or Cambodia or whatever and are so blown away by the personal experience, by the one family they met, by the, the ride in the tuk truck out and they got caught in a flood. And, you know what I mean? Something that just rooted this experience in such a tangible, meaningful way. And they, you can't, Gavin, you can't go back from that. No. And one, one thing that's incredible, if I could give a plug for the, University, the University of Guelph, is they have, um, with their business program, they're really um, trying to introduce a lot more interdisciplinary learning opportunities and experiential learning. And so whether, and not all the time, you have to go to another developing country. Sometimes there's budget issues, time issues. Um, and so there's a, a program called CBASE, where we actually have some business students doing work for, for businesses in the community. And we actually had Seabase students work for Lucky Iron Fish and do a market demographic survey. And then they were open to social business. They were open to what we were doing both at home and abroad. 
And I think we lit some fires there. And so experiential learning doesn't have to be in a developing country. Um, you can absolutely have it in your own backyard, in your own community. And I'm really, I'm really happy to be working with the University of Guelph, who's uh, been doing that for us. So we've been talking to Gavin Armstrong. He's the president and CEO of Lucky Iron Fish. Check them out. Gavin, thank you so much for your taking the time today. Oh, thank you so we, much for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, Lucky Iron Fish, that's L-U-C-K-Y-I-R-O-N, fish, F-I, hope everyone can spell fish, <laughs> F-I-S-H, dot com. Cool website, really amazing product. They've got a buy one, uh, donate one model. Is sure. It? Yeah, yeah. Check it out online. Christmas time's coming. And again, Gavin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.